Welcome to Park Ave Baptist Church Podcast, a weekly broadcast of our Sunday sermon. I'm Darcy Jarrett, pastor of worship, advocacy, and arts. I'm Himra Chenault, pastor of community engagement and stewardship. And I'm Lanta Carroll, interim pastor of Families in Formation. Park Ave is a bold, inclusive, and creative community where everyone is welcome. We uplift voices and identities that are marginalized elsewhere. We affirm all ethnicities, racial identities, ages, socioeconomic groups, gender identities, and sexual orientations. Because we hold to a theology that refuses to other anyone. At Park Avenue, our leadership model is non-hierarchical. And we practice an open pulpit. Where you will hear a multiplicity of theologically trained voices from different backgrounds, and social locations. We don't just preach and talk about deconstructing systems and structures of power. We We practice it. Through this podcast, we hope you will be inspired, encouraged, and challenged. Listen Listen with with us now. I'm just going to go ahead and say it. Purity culture sucks. (laughs) Flat out, all around sucks. Let me also say how relieved I am that I didn't get forced to wear any purity rings, that there weren't any specific rituals to mark my sexual purity at any of the churches I grew up in. But even still, the language and theology of purity culture found its way into my youth group and it found its way to me. A few significant moments come to mind in my teenage faith development. My middle school youth pastor's wife spoke directly to a group of young girls, no boys were allowed in that space with us, right? Uh, About how she had had sex before marriage and she thinks it was the biggest mistake of her life because she had given away a part of herself that her husband deserved to have all of. Okay, I think she was trying to come from a very sincere place, but when I reflect back, I can see that this was so deeply rooted in her worth being connected to her sexuality and her practice of any sexual act before marriage. Her shame was doing the talking. The church taught me and countless others that sex before marriage was wrong, but it didn't help educate us about what sex really meant. It was the thing that you avoid at all costs until your wedding night when all of a sudden it's going to be the best thing ever. So if you never fit into the category of married with the assumption of heterosexual monogamous covenant marriage, then what? I also didn't get much sex education at home unless you count, and I am so serious about this, a three-minute conversation with a horrified mother who spoke the whole time with a look of disgust on her face. I don't blame my mom, let me be clear about that. She truly was doing the best that she knew to do to talk to me about something that was so secretive and obscure and wrong to even name in her Southern Baptist pastor's kid upbringing. In high school, I got invited to a girl's Bible study from another youth pastor's wife. You know, youth pastors transition pretty quickly. The first night, I learned that we're going to do a book study. Lady in waiting. Becoming God's best while waiting for Mr. Right. I found my old book a few years ago when I was cleaning out my old bookshelves. Highlights 
everywhere, postcards with lists of what my dream husband was going to look like. All of these things that reminded me how inundated I was with this message that not only was I waiting to have sex until marriage, but marriage was the goal and purpose of my life. <laughs> Don't worry. Oh, I brought the book with me, right? You see that I have this. I brought it. So you get to be a part of this experience with me. Flashback to my childhood, youth, tween self. It says on page 81. <laughs> Have you ever secretly opened a Christmas gift before Christmas Day and rewrapped it, putting it back under the tree? How thrilling and exciting it was when you saw the surprise. But what about the big day when the gifts were supposed to be opened for the first time? <laughs> where, where was the excitement when you opened your gift? The gift did not seem quite as special because it had already been opened for the first time. Each woman receives one first time. God desires for your precious gift to be given to a committed lover who will cherish, keep, and protect you in marriage. God wants you and your gift to this man to be treasured and cherished and trampled and conquered. It's there. I kind of just want to keep going. Song of Solomon 8.4 NIV says, Do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. God wants to protect you from losing your virginity. Oh, or this I found in one of the reflections later on. To marry a prince, you must first become a princess. Is it any, is it any wonder that a heavenly princess must prepare inwardly for the calling to which she will give her life? As they also reference Princess Diana. <laughs> By the way, just so we're clear, last I checked, I felt no call from God to be someone's princess. Just saying. Oh, but this line might be my favorite. Avoid bozos. <laughs> what is a bozo? A bozo is a guy whose outward appearance is a facade. What he appears to be physically, socially, and even spiritually is just a performance. A bozo is a counterfeit of a Boaz. <laughs> like, I can't even believe y'all. This was the sex education I received from my church. Avoid bozos. I hope you take away that with me from the sermon, right? I mean, I just can't take this seriously. The chapters go on. Be a lady of reckless abandonment, diligence, faith, virtue, devotion, purity, security, conviction, and patience. And the book focuses on each of these attributes chapter by chapter. Be a lady in waiting. But what on earth was I waiting for, right? Like this damaging belief that I would be sinful if I didn't just sit and wait with poise, right, for my future husband to come and find me as if I was some immobile statue. 
Like it made me feel like my life didn't even begin until I would find my life partner. And I can tell you, there are still people that I'm working with in the therapy room as we uncover these histories of shame, these stories, y'all, we are, that we are still dealing with this. But it was as if I had no agency in my own life. Growing up in and around purity culture, I, along with others who were brainwashed into this shame-based belief system, felt helpless, powerless, and rejected. We were taught that we were supposed to wait. And this didn't just come, let me be clear, this didn't just come as a message of sexual abstinence. That was hardly it. It was focused there, but so much underneath it, right? It also taught us to hide our vulnerability to cover up our emotions, to just stand still as a woman of virtue does, and God will do the rest. I mean, I really feel the anger boiling up inside of me as I say this out loud. This was not okay. It isn't okay, and it will never be okay. Many people grew up being told over and over by the church that their virginity was the most important thing they could give to their spouse on their wedding night, only to reach that point and realize that having saved themselves didn't magically create sexual compatibility or solve their marital concerns. Many soon divorced. Suffice it to say, love isn't guaranteed once you've become married or because you've only had sex with one person. And that's not to discredit or disrespect those who do, right? Still, others sat silently in their church groups wondering what virginity could possibly mean for them as people who had been victims of abuse or sexual trauma. And of course, others felt trapped in the box of purity culture that perpetuated such a heteronormative definition of a relationship and marriage that gave absolutely no space for someone who was exploring their gender and sexual identity. Trying to make everyone's story fit into one limited experience of life and sexual and gender, gender identity has only added to the harm. But all of this was what was ingrained in my psyche be a lady in waiting for Mr. Right. But what exactly was I waiting for? You see, I wish someone told me that confidence wasn't passive, that a healthy biblical sexual ethic should be about freedom, not captivity, that my dignity and worth would not be lost if I chose to have sex before marriage. That the attributes of biblical womanhood were not about waiting or marriage or sex or procreation, but about wisdom, courage, assertiveness, strength. I wish someone talked about all of the different forms of intimacy instead of hijacking the conversation and making it all about the shame of one sexual act. When did all of sex education and the culmination of purity become so focused on one moment? And what is it about sex that sends Christians toward one extreme or the other? This either-or thinking. Girls are either wholesome or promiscuous. A person's either pure or they're polluted. We can either say nothing about contraceptives or throw out condoms to everyone, right? There's no middle ground. 
why do we operate in such either-or thinking here? With something as complex and layered and beautiful as sexuality, is there no room for more nuance? I don't know about you, but I'm personally just tired of the word purity these days. It's triggering for way too many of us. The damage has been done, and we're left with the aftermath of purity culture. I think it's time to use some different language because purity just isn't working without being partnered with the secondary emotion of shame. So what if sex wasn't about purity, but about wholeness? And what if wholeness or holiness wasn't about one act? Where did that idea come from? The problem with the evangelical purity culture, perhaps, isn't even that it teaches saving sex for marriage, but that it equates virginity with sexual wholeness and therefore as something that can be lost or given or taken away in a single moment. So I want us to look at a bigger picture. I'm going to rejoice in the simple gospel today, okay? <laughs> I want to keep this simple. I want us to zoom out and think more broadly about this idea of one moment versus a journey. That's kind of all I want to say here, right? Consistent throughout the book of Proverbs, there is a consistent language of being guided by God's path and being directed by God's way of wisdom. Path, way, journey, movement, motion, right? Evolving. Um, the words path and way show up over and over again. And as simple as this concept might sound, I really think it challenges us to rethink and counteract a damaging culture that tells us that our wholeness is based on just one moment in time and instead think about this ever-evolving path toward wholeness, of wholeness, God in us, God with us, the image of God reflected through us as we are journeying with God together. So if we look at some of the words in Proverbs about path and way, this is pretty simple. I've directed you in the way of wisdom. I've led you in paths that I've guided with you. In all of your ways, acknowledge God, and God will guide your paths. But the path of the righteous, and when we look at the Hebrew word righteous here, it could also be integrity. The path of integrity is like the light of dawn that shines brighter and brighter until the full day. That's not about a one-time moment or a happenstance incident, right? It's movement, evolving, journey. What would we gain if we started teaching and practicing that our worth and wholeness and integrity isn't based on a single decision, a moment, a position, a thought, but instead that it is a way of life, a path, a road? And I'm not talking about this straight and narrow path either, okay? Let's be clear. It's more nuanced than that. There's ebbs and flows and there's learning about ourselves and it's going to look different for everybody, for everybody. But I think that's also a part of our autonomy, our God-given autonomy. We are co-creators with God. God gives us agency over our bodies and is with us as we learn what that means and as we grow and become who we are called to be. So when I think about the path of wholeness, I think of it as a way of life that honors loving yourself and loving others well. 
doesn't that also inform our sexual ethic? It's part of a lifelong journey, but our identity as people of God isn't defined by a list of things that we don't do, but the ways in which we do embody God's love. How do we love well? How refreshing and restorative would it be for the church to include sexual wholeness as one of many components, not the only, but many components of wholeness, connection, belonging, and intimacy that are a part of loving ourselves and loving others well. And speaking of intimacy, why are we so quick to equate the word intimacy solely to sex when sex is just one form of intimacy? Intimacy is a process whereby we feel truly seen, known by, and connected with someone else. Intimacy is crucial in building healthy relationships. Emotional intimacy, spiritual intimacy, intellectual intimacy, physical intimacy, and that's not sex, that's like hand-holding and connecting, right? And just feeling uh, connected to somebody else. Experiential intimacy, sharing experiences with somebody else. Sharing these forms of intimacy are not things that detract from someone's worth. These are beautiful things. This is the way that we are wired by God to connect and belong. There is no shame in sharing a deep connection with someone. Relationships, kissing or having sex with someone who won't be your spouse, I don't think it detracts from your worth. Can we not empower humans to make informed, healthy decisions that respect the autonomy of their God-given connection-wired bodies? Can we destigmatize the conversation around sexuality and take away the shame of it so that we can reclaim its nuance and mystery and beauty? I think when shame is out of the picture, which that's really hard to do when we've got layers of trauma and story and experience underneath it, but if we can practice removing shame from that narrative, I think it's really not that hard to talk about. Sexuality is just so much more than just the one sexual act. We bring so much of our whole being into, sexu into our sexuality. It's physical, it's emotional, it's spiritual, it's sacred. While there is no formula that's going to replace the set of rules that many evangel evangelical Christians were raised with, I do think that together we can forge a path forward, a path that speaks boldly about the nuances of our sexuality and the bigger picture of the sacredness of intimacy in all of its various forms, a path that challenges heteronormativity in the church's understanding of sexuality, marriage, love, and wholeness, and widens a more inclusive lens of the inclusive love of God for our LGBTQ siblings, <laughs> lady-in-waiting for Mr. Wright, so heteronormative, a path that receives the invitation to embody an approach that leads to flourishing rather than a rigid tool of exclusion, freedom, not captivity, Wholeness, not shame. I give thanks for the United Church of Christ and the Unitarian Universalist Association, these congregations who together developed a comprehensive sexuality education class called Our Whole Lives. 
And it covers everything from anatomy to gender identity to physical and emotional abuse and is all undergirded by bedrock values of self-worth, sexual health, responsibility, and justice and inclusivity. And it's based on the idea that sexuality encompasses so much more of a person's life than their sexual behaviors. We're going to go through that with some of our Park Ave parents here in a few weeks, actually. But we need to do more. We need to be more comprehensive with it and go through it as a whole church, right? But here's what we can stand on. There's just no room for shame in God's way of love. There's no room for shame in God's way of love. You are more than your virginity or lack thereof. And you are much more than your sexual past. You are never damaged goods. Your marriage is not doomed if you didn't wait. Nor is your identity enmeshed so much in your role as a partner or spouse. You're your own person. You are worthy of love and belonging and connection and intimacy. You are wired by God for these things and so much more. Park Ave, can we be on a path together? A journey that helps us embody the love of God that is more than a moment, more than one single decision. God's love is bigger than the damage of purity culture. Purity culture sucks. But God's love is bigger than the damage of purity culture. God's love is bigger. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Park Avenue Baptist Church podcast. If you'd like to worship with us in person, our services are Sunday mornings at 10 a.m.-ish. We are at 486 Park Ave in Southeast Atlanta across the street from Grant Park at the corner of Park Ave and Sydney Street. To find out more about us or get in touch, visit our website at parkavebaptist.com. Now go into the world that is too often unjust. Knowing that the God who created you loves you and empowers you. To love boldly. Live inclusively. And to serve creatively. Amen. Amen.